The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Hospital Beds. Written by Veronica Jaguer and Mercedes Lackey. The Echo Infirmary had nearly every piece of medicine medical technology scavenged from the ruined city. Paired with the group's doctors and metahuman healers, the facility had the capacity to bring even the most battered and bloodied bodies back to life. At the moment, the machines sat idle in the mostly empty space. Only one patient remained, kept in isolation for as much as her own safety as the safety of the medical team. Gilead had read Mel Gaucher's files, both Echo and Army, and she couldn't begin to understand how to initiate the healing process. The kids rescued with her had provided enough information to construct a crude timeline. It painted a horrific picture. Blood work showed countless chemical dependencies, while scarring over much of her body provided evidence of sustained, almost ritual torture. One missing toe on each foot, deep gouges in her thighs and upper arms. The bandages covering the stump of her left hand would need to be changed within the next few hours. Gilead scrolled through the list of injuries and the recommended treatments. Clinical detachment had its place in times like these, but she wasn't made of stone. The doctor closed the file, slumped down, and covered her face with her hands. Even the most conventional echo treatment involving a metahuman healing factor brought substantial risk to the healer. They couldn't afford to lose the most critical members of their medical team, so Gilead had offered to review Mel's files and provide a logical treatment plan. And she had no idea where to start. Ma'am? Yankee Pride knocked on the side of the office door. Her fingers slid down to show bloodshot eyes. He winced. I'm sorry, Doctor. I can come back later if this is a bad time. No. No, come on in. Have a seat. She spun a metal stool over and waited for him to sit. How are you doing, sir? Fine, but you don't need to serve me. This is just my version of a house call. Reverse house call, I suppose. He inclined his head toward the occupied room. Any updates on her? Gilead leaned back and rested her head against the wall. A long breath full of frustration escaped her lips, making her feel even more deflated than before. Physically, she's stable. All injuries documented, the worst treated as much as we can, and she's on antibiotics to prevent infection. There's head trauma, skull fractures, and extensive scarring. Given her history pre-echo, she's been under heavy sedation since she arrived. Pride nodded. Yeah, I'd read her file. Also read the other file that went with the fake one following her treatments after five points. You're saying they both got shot in the head? Affirmative. Gilead swung around to her workstation and clicked through patient records. In a few minutes, she had two fMRI images on the screen. Patches of color appeared in nearly identical regions. This one, she pointed to the left, is our girl when she came in with the kids. And this one, she pointed to the right, is our imposter during the scan's post-peach tree. I've sent them down to one of my colleagues from back in the day to get his opinion on it. Let a real brain surgeon pick it apart. Pride frowned at the pictures. They were the same, 
down to a neurological level? Best as I can tell, but that's why I sent them down to Frank to check. Gilead minimized to the windows and stood. Thick one-way glass let them observe their patient without the threat of meta-induced hallucinations, and a cocktail of heavy sedatives provided additional insurance. Unfortunately, every extra day that Mel passed under that medical haze increased the likelihood of permanent damage to her long-term memory as well as her metahuman abilities. If she's even got them anymore, Gilead thought. All of these precautions could be for nothing. Mel's impersonator had claimed an initial loss of ability due to the injury. Given Mel's condition when she'd arrived and the potential ramifications of an out-of-control illusionist, they hadn't considered any kind of preliminary screening. The report from the Army psychologist detailed an extensive extraction operation where she had immobilized three Marines and the lead meta of the squad before being knocked out. Considering that she had been the only surviving prisoner of a six-person team, Gilead couldn't imagine her not using her abilities to defend herself. Pride stood at the window, somber in his observation of her patient. She realized that it had been barely a week since the memorial, and less than two weeks since his mother's passing. They wouldn't get the toxicology reports back for a while, since every available resource was dedicated to analysis of the agents that Dominic Verdigree had released in the stadium. She had her suspicions, but without scientific proof— that's all they would be, and she didn't see the need to make conversation out of speculation. So, how are you and Willa Jean holding up? We're managing. She's got more on her mind, but she's tough. He turned to Gilead. Shadows around his eyes spoke of too many nights with too little rest. They've taken some blood and tissue samples to compare with the folks whose abilities faded or disappeared— when she's not at the lab, she's burning up a corner of the training course. And how's that going? He smirked. Her eyebrows will grow back. Creating and controlling fire are two different things, and she learned it the hard way. He sighed and returned his attention to Mel. But at least she's got something to keep her occupied. It helps that she knows that Mama will be proud of her, and she holds on to that. Gilead asked her next question carefully. Good for her, but what about you? How are you managing? I'm here. Pride rubbed his right wrist with the heel of his left hand. Parker's taken the lead on much of the day-to-day -day operations, but we're still trying to figure out how deep this infiltration went. Well, who knows how much was compromised, and there's the issue of those children they recovered at the same location— We'll have to call in some help from other cities, see if they have resources to assist. Ben, stop. She put her hand on his shoulder to stop the stream of consciousness that kept him from answering her question. Stop thinking about the others and worry about yourself, for once. Please. If you don't, you're never going to get the opportunity to really heal. His jaw clenched, the sudden tension invisible static between them. Gilead kept going. There is a difference between dealing with someone else's loss and your own. Any caretaker, even those with the most compliant and loving charges, will stress the importance of self-care. You need to talk to someone or find a healthy means to work through and resolve what's happened. Ma'am, with all due respect, I don't have time for some self-indulgent psychotherapeutic dialogue. The war is still going on. 
I may not be at the forefront of the battle, but I am still a member of this organization, and any retreat would be perceived as a weakness, even by those who we work to protect. Shoulders back and chin up, he presented an image of defiance that spoke volumes about both his parents and their influences. It was both inspiring and exasperating. Not dealing with it also creates a liability with respect to your mental health and emotional well-being. He swiveled his head, eyes narrowed at her. Is that a veiled reference to being unfit to serve, Doctor? Oh, for the love of... Gilead went back to her chair, bedside manner exhausted. In her experience, it was the rare male, metahuman or otherwise, who didn't view the mention of mental self-care as an attack on their overall abilities. Some stigmas would never disappear. No, I'm a medical professional. Veiled references are left to reality housewives and politicians. If I was going to take you off active duty, I'd say that. And are you... Gilead rubbed her face. Neither of them had enough rest or caffeine to turn this into a coherent argument, and she wasn't about to try. No, then. I'm saying that you need a healthy way to manage personal loss, and that a simple conversation focused on you rather than someone else is the best way to start. And I'm suggesting that if you do choose to go that route, you find someone outside of the Echo Medical staff to fill that role. Someone you'll actually talk to. Yankee Pride avoided the infirmary for several days after his encounter with Gilead. He put in his time at the main Echo offices, working with Spin Doctor on the necessary correspondence following the memorial. Someone, probably Ramona, given her familiarity with the administrative side of the organization, had created new files for the most recent recruits. He had gone through them all, noted names and the initial cataloging of abilities, and added some reminders to his calendar for some follow-up calls. Get to know everyone, Benjamin. Not to know what they can do, but to understand who they are. Always remember they're people first. Even after her retirement, his mother had insisted upon learning about the newest recruits. Given her affinity for history, she had likely known more about the CCCP than he did. After a review of the day's memos and a walk around to the perimeter of the parkour course, Pride had found himself with an hour's worth of time and no prior commitments. His exchange with Gilead gnawed at him. He couldn't use his own grief to excuse his manners in her office, especially when she herself was stretched thin between the daily emergencies. Some form of apology was in order. Following a detour to a nearby bistro, Pride arrived at the infirmary with a small box of pastries and an insulated box of gourmet coffee. It was the sort of olive branch that could be shared with anyone else pulling the day shift, if the good doctor deemed them worthy of a cherry danish. The receptionist waved him through with a smile and pointed him back to the office suite. The doctor didn't appear to have taken anyone's advice on sleep since he had last seen her. Gilead's hair stood out in frustrated gray and white spikes, and the circles under her eyes spoke more to a fistfight in an alley than a struggle to understand the images on her screen. She gave him a stern frown when she first saw him, but her expression changed to exhausted gratitude at the sight of the coffee box. You didn't, she said, sagging in her chair. But you did. He produced the box of Danish, and she looked like she might burst into tears. Pride swallowed hard and held it out awkwardly. 
Ma'am, I've thought about our last exchange, and I just wanted to say... She accepted the box of coffee and set it on the ground, then pulled him into a tight hug. Despite her wiry frame, the embrace had a warmth to it that wrapped around his entire body. His throat tightened and his face grew hot. She rose on her toes such that her forehead touched his jawline. You are so frustratingly polite. It's impossible to be mad with you. Don't worry about our chat. It's okay. Pride struggled to hold himself together, but managed a curt nod when she stepped back and rubbed his arms briskly. As for the Danish and coffee, I'm going to find some mugs. You can stay here and catch up on Gaucher's condition if you're so inclined. He nodded his head. I could. Where are her current files? On the desk. I was just reviewing them. Take a look. She picked up the box of Danish and cracked it open. Oh, there's Blueberry. I might have to breach protocol and kiss you, you blessed creature. I'll be back. Gilead darted out of the office, mumbling to herself about saints and pastries. Still embarrassed by his struggle to keep his own emotion in check, Pride focused his attention on the pile of file folders. He picked up one and started to thumb through it. While he had read the official reports regarding the rescue of Victoria Victrix, the apparent loss of Red Genie, and the secondary retrieval of several miners along with Mel Gaucher, he had not had the opportunity to comb through the interviews or medical reports related to Mel's condition. The photographs, taken from the Overwatch cameras from the rescuers, showed someone barely human. That she had even survived this long spoke volumes about her resilience and her captor's intentions. He choked back the bile in his throat and set the file down. On another day, he might have been able to stomach the horror detailed in full color. Now it was too real and too raw, and he was not prepared for the rush of emotion that washed over him. Pride walked to the one-way glass and saw the patient lying there, the bare minimum of wires keeping her tethered to the monitors. The vertical blinds in the room kept sunlight from entering, and the overhead fluorescence gave the room a sickly pallor. He knew that outside, the sun was shining, and the sky had a particular shade of blue that spoke of afternoon barbecues and football games— Mel lay still, her eyes still closed. Pride wondered if they continued to sedate her to aid in her recovery. A metal clipboard near the bed had several pages of notes. At the very least, he could see what had been said about her recovery. Slowly, he moved to the door and listened for footsteps. No one came, so he crept past the threshold and angled himself to face the wall. Pride doubted that Mel had the consciousness to lash out, but he didn't dare risk that result alongside the doctor's inevitable wrath, should she discover him in here. The soft whir and click of the machines, coupled with Mel's breathing, seemed to amplify each footstep. Reaching a hand back, he fumbled for the clipboard and managed to get it off the hook. The cover page demonstrated Gilead's diligent documentation of her only patient. Dates, times, neat script describing her condition and the medications administered, a purple sticker at the top of the chart tagged the patient as a psych-type metahuman, an initial warning for anyone treating her. He flipped back to the page to keep reading, the number of medications increasing exponentially as they got closer to the admit date and time. Another member of the medical team had jotted down the first set of notes, including a warning regarding known metahuman abilities and their effects. Recommend physical restraints and sedation until full extent of injuries and abilities is known. 
unsure if patient is ally or hostile. Pride reread the pages several times, piecing together the last few days' worth of Mel's ordeal after the rescue. Anger and regret gnawed at him. How had they not realized that the woman serving drinks, delivering lunches, and maintaining office order at Echo wasn't the real reverie? Was her impersonator that good and the deception that practiced? Or had they failed to get to know her the first time, making it easier for her double to create a persona that they could like and rely upon? Would a little more personal time have made the difference? How many others had gotten pushed aside in the name of efficiency because getting to know them wasn't as valuable as what they could do in a fight? And this woman had the added status of being a military veteran, battle-tested and trained in the most dangerous of situations. To know that they, he, he corrected himself, had failed her, it made him even angrier. Damn it all to hell, he muttered. Ma'am, we owed you better, far better. And for what it's worth, if you can hear me, you have my full apologies and promise for whatever kind of recovery and rehabilitation you need. Could you maybe start by opening the curtains, please? Pride froze, his gaze fixed on the clipboard in his hand. How long had she been aware of him in the room? Did Gilead know that her patient was conscious and able to speak? He licked his lips and spoke, keeping his voice low. Ma'am, for the record, I'm pretty sure the doc will have my hide if she finds me in here with you. Opening the blinds might get us both in trouble. I don't really care about being in trouble, sir. I just don't want to be in the dark. Her voice wavered. I'm not going to jump out of bed or set some head devils on you. I just want to know if there's sun or rain outside. His heart sank. Such a simple request from someone who had been through so much but security weighed heavy on his mind. If the light triggered something that resulted in injury to him, or her, or both of them, a verbal reprimand from the doctor would be the least of his concerns. Pride consulted the clipboard again for some guidance as to what could or couldn't be done. Do you know who I am, ma'am? Of course I do. You can't keep pride, she answered. I ain't deaf. And do you know why I might be reluctant to open the windows or even turn around? He hated himself for asking the question, but he didn't know what else to do. Leaving would be cruel if she didn't pose a threat and just needed a bit of company. Loneliness was something he empathized with all too much these days. Yeah, but I also figure that if you're coming in here, it's because of some needing to see things for yourself. Nobody's visited. Nobody that I can remember, at least, she added. Her voice cracked and she sniffled. Everything's mixed up in my head. I'm not surprised, he murmured. Pride glanced back at the chart and the medical staff's notes. Whatever had taken you had us pretty mixed up about you, too. We're still not sure if you're ready to be debriefed. Although, given that you're conscious and verbal, that might be something to consider. She let out a long sigh and sniffled. Right. Bedside interrogation. 
because they'll need to know everything I can remember in order to find the sick freak that had me and those kids in that hellhole for all those months. And of course, they can't just bring in a telepath or empath due to the liability I present. She spoke in a bitter tone, anger and disgust in her words. So, it'll be the old-fashioned way. Lucky me. A long moment passed without either of them saying anything, the hum of medical equipment suddenly loud in the sterile space. He studied the pages he held. If they planned to debrief her, it made sense to not give her too much information for fear of contaminating any information she could provide. The upper tier of Echo had the most recent information about the circumstances surrounding Victrix's capture and the rescue of her, Gaucher, and dozens of children and teenagers— but the loss of the genie gave them a whole new situation to consider. They needed to know as much as possible about the individual who had done all of this, and it needed to be free of any outside influence. But was it fair to isolate someone who had already endured so much? He sighed and fumbled to place the clipboard back. Overwatch, privacy. Overwatch, recording all channels. Authorization, Pride 1945. The tiny chirp in his ear confirmed the commands and secure confirmation code. If she wanted to talk, he could indulge that much and gather the data for analysis later. Victrix and Parker swore by the Colt boys and their prowess with multi-level data analysis. This would be just another project for them to argue over beer and pizza. Ma'am, I... Mel... I can't take that formal ma'am bullshit no more, especially if you got your back turned. She coughed and made a frustrated sound in her throat. Sir? He nodded and stepped away from the clipboard, still not facing her. All right, but if I slip, you'll have to forgive me. Goes along with calling any kind of soda a Coke, you know. Even if it's clear? Uh-huh. She snorted. <laughs> That's just ridiculous, but I get it. The bed squeaked as she shifted, the hospital noise less ominous between them. What happens if the doc finds you in here with me? Pride shrugged. Any number of things. I figure yelling, getting dragged out by one of my ears, maybe a ten-minute lecture on security threats and the like. You're the more serious threat in the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. He fixed his eyes on the wall and relaxed his posture. Someone had painted the walls recently. He couldn't find a single crack or discoloration for focus. You got a favorite food, Mel. Something that you'd have brought in the minute the doc clears you for something more than jello and echo-issue neutro puree. First thing? Bread pudding. The kind that you make from homemade bread scraps, soaked in a good caramel sauce. Warm, of course. Raisins? No, none of that. You ruin it when you add those kinds of things. She sighed, an almost happy noise. But sometime soon, I'm going to find a good crawfish boil. Head down I-10 and find some little hole-in-the-wall spot and slide out and eat until my lips burn. He made a face, forgetting that she couldn't see his reaction. Can't say I've ever found the idea of eating those things appetizing. Why not? Mel asked. Spice? Butter? 
If you're fancy enough to lack lobster, then you'll have no problem with these. Yes, can't eat something that's staring at me. He grinned, the smile carrying through to his words. But I believe you that it's worth a drive. She chuckled, but the noise was tinged with regret. He fought the urge to turn around, but it became harder as the sad laughter became quiet weeping. Keeping his back to her, a military veteran who had endured capture and torture twice while in service to Echo drove a nail through his heart with each soft sob. This isn't right. Threat or no, she's a human being and a soldier. I can't just keep staring at the paint on the wall. He would deal with Gilead's wrath when she returned, if only to treat Mel with some bit of the dignity she had earned several times over. Don't you move, sir. Mel reacted the moment he began to pivot. Even through tears, she spoke with authority. I'm still a liability, and you're a leading member of the organization. This ain't a time to get sentimental. And I'm inclined to agree with the patient, Ben. Gilead leaned against the doorframe with a coffee in one hand. She angled herself to stay out of Mel's line of sight. Compassion's all well and good, but in this kind of situation, it could very well get you killed. As for you, ma'am, I'm going to have to notify the appropriate people now that you're awake. Mel cleared her throat. Understood, Doc. You don't have to apologize for protocol. I'll do my best to keep things under control. Sir... I do appreciate your concern. For what it's worth, I don't think anyone with your rank ever came by when I came back the first time. An oversight on my part. If the good doctor doesn't lock me out of her suite, I'll be back to hear more about this crawfish bowl trip you plan to take. Pride stepped toward the exit, ducking around Gilead to avoid her stern glare. Ma'am? The petite doctor didn't move, but he could feel her eyes on him all the way to the exit. Pride offered the subvocal command to end the recording, then sent it off to Parker and Victrix for any analysis. He anticipated a short and frustrated lecture on difficult situations, debriefing protocol, and medical liability, most likely in stereo from them. To say that he didn't care about the consequences didn't fully explain his reasons for sneaking into the room with the single hospital bed— but it had seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And, he thought, as he saw his HUD alert him to an incoming Overwatch message, I would do it again if given the chance. Vicky could feel Gilead's eyes boring holes in her. She matched Gilead glare for glare. Don't, she said firmly. Not a word. Yes, I know I'm burning my candle at both ends and in the middle. No, there's nothing you can do to stop me. Penny and I are here for another reason entirely. Penny says we need to talk to Mel, and by we I refer to me, Penny, and Penny's invisible friend. Penny, who looked much better now that she'd gotten a series of real showers, a lot of food into her, and was dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, her hair pulled back in a ponytail like a normal kid, nodded vigorously. She was a cute little thing, actually, with long black wavy hair and coffee-colored skin, and had been no trouble at all. Gilead paid no attention to her. So far as she was concerned, kids obeyed adults, not the other way around. And this kid was with an adult who probably looked like she should be occupying a bed here, and who was showing all the expression of a block of granite. 
Vicky was getting used to those looks. Three hours of sleep was all she could manage before either screaming nightmares or uncontrollable weeping woke her. As for eating, well, it wasn't happening. Coffee and canned liquid meals stayed put, but nothing else did. And it didn't matter. She didn't matter. All that mattered was getting eight up to full speed, then... I won't be blindsided again, doppelganger, you bitch. When you come for me, I'm coming armed to the teeth. Nobody's walking away this time. For now, though, she was keeping herself frozen, because if she allowed herself to feel anything, she'd lose it, and she was pretty sure she wouldn't be getting control or even sanity back any time soon. Most specifically, Penny's invisible friend is pretty adamant about talking with Gaucher, and now, not later, she continued. Gilead now gave her one of the oddest looks she'd ever gotten in a lifetime of odd looks. Vicky shrugged. It's a ghost. He'll still be a ghost whether or not you believe in them. Penny says he says he has to talk to Mel or she's never going to get better. I'm going to make that happen. Gilead opened her mouth to say something. Vicky cut her off. Rude, maybe, but she didn't care any more about social niceties. Every moment wasted was energy, time, and effort wasted. Penny says Mel can't hurt her. I know for a fact she can't hurt either of us for that matter. Now let us in there. Please, she added, but only because eight chided her on her private channel. Gilead gave her the stink eye. And please don't make me call Blues for authorization. She'll give it to me, but it'll take an argument, and we're on the freaking clock. I've got fifty things that have to get done, and until I get eight where eight needs to be, there's only one of me to do them. When Gilead gave her a skeptical look instead of a reply, she choked down anger, no, rage, and elaborated. Doppelganger knows who I am, what I am, and where I am. Red inadvertently made it clear I'm important, and it's only a matter of time before she makes another try for me. And even if he hadn't, it's pretty clear the bitch likes to make people hurt, so I'd be a target no matter what. So please do not waste time I may not have. And I managed to say Red's name without melting down. Go me. Gilead opened her mouth to say something, then shook her head and tossed up her hands in defeat. First Ben, now you. Is everybody going to make a habit of overruling me? Vicky took that as the go-ahead to escort Penny into Mel's room. Illusions were part and parcel of the mage's bag of tricks, and she was pretty damned sure the protections she'd cast on both of them would shield them from anything Gaucher could produce. She'd already given Penny a shield against angry, nasty spirits that would do until Penny learned how to send such things packing herself. So the two of them walked right into the room, Penny trailing a little behind Vicky, without even trying to avert their eyes from the figure on the bed. Mel was a mess. This was the first time Vicky had had a good look at her. Back at Doppelganger's playpen, she hadn't exactly been paying a lot of attention to the illusionist. The only thing she'd really noticed was the stump where a hand should have been. But now, the bandages everywhere, and the IV drip made it pretty clear Doppelganger had been having a fine old sadistic time with Mel. Which means... Red? Was... She clamped down her self-control, hard, clenching her jaw until she thought her teeth might splinter, until the numb, icy calm came back. Meanwhile, little Penny, oblivious to the tumult going on inside her, eyed the woman who lay there so quietly with her eyes closed. 
Penny's expression was hard to read. Half the time Vicky had no idea what she was thinking. This was a kid who'd learned to keep her feelings to herself way too early. I hope once she learns enough from me and Casper to handle being a medium on her own, she gets an adult who's got more empathy to spare for her than I do. On the other hand, the poor kid was just one more casualty of war. There were a lot like her out there. War brought out the best and the worst in people, and there were a lot of abused or abandoned kids around. Hell, between the ones D.G. had and the ones from Zack Marlowe's project, Echo had enough abused, abandoned kids with powers to start a school. This kid just happened to see ghosts that had abused her. Finally, the little girl stepped towards the bed. Not too close, but closer than Vicky wanted to get, though that was more her own twitchiness about the shape Mel was in, not any fear of what Mel might do. Miss Gaucher, she said in her high, soft voice. I don't know if you remember me. I'm Penny. I thought your name was Lacey, cause that's all you'd say. Lacey, Moan, Alley. I kinda tried to help you, but I couldn't figure out how. She swallowed hard, but continued bravely. I know how to help you now, though. Miss Vicky's helping me. So's our friend. Mel sighed, and her eyes remained closed. Hey, Penny. I... I wish I could say I remember you completely, but my brain doesn't quite know what was real, what I tried to forget was real, and what I tried to make up to get through what was real. She shifted against the pillows, away from where Penny stood. And if I did anything to hurt you in there, I'm truly sorry. Mel, it's Vix. I'm here too. Open your eyes. There's no freaking way you can hurt us. She looked around and scowled at the closed blinds. Jesus, Clooney Frog, let's get some sunlight in here so you don't start asking for Depeche Mode and the Smiths on Infinite Loop. Suiting action to words, she opened the blinds with a brisk tug. It took a moment, but Mel cracked open one eye and promptly squinted in the afternoon light. She gave it a few seconds before doing the same with the other, then rolled to face her visitors. At the sight of Vicky, Mel visibly recoiled. Damn! Did you come in from just down the hall? Who put you on duty? She put herself on duty, Gilead called from the doorway. I'm going to curl myself around a coffee while you three chat. Everything's being recorded for all the good it will do. Just don't wear each other out. We can't fit three beds in here. The doctor slipped out, muttering to herself. Mel waited to speak until the footsteps had faded down the hallway. Vicky held up a hand. Four. There's four of us here. Who's the fourth? Mel glanced from the mage to the kid. I only see the pair of you. Penny's a medium. She's got a ghost with her that has a very urgent and particular interest in you. I'm here to help with the Mel can't see ghosts part. Once we're done with that, you can ask all the questions you want, but from what Penny tells me, her invisible friend is practically gnawing his own arm off to get to you. She rubbed her reddened eyes. Eight tells me I should be more polite, but I'm pretty short on energy, nerves, and patience, and the field where I grow my fucks in is barren. All right. She lifted her bandaged arm, realized that there was nothing there to itch her nose, and switched to the other one. 
As long as you're sure that I can't hurt you or her, I'm willing to work with you. Don't really have much to lose now. Illusions are among the first things a mage learns, right after lighting a candle and figuring out which element you can best pull your magic energy from. Anything you can do, I can get rid of. She looked down at the little girl. Your buddy ready, Penny? The child nodded, her ponytail bobbing. He's right there, she said, pointing to Mel's bedside. Thanks. Vicky closed her eyes a moment and held her hands before her, about a foot apart and chest high, palms facing. She whispered something under her breath, and something very like fog began to form between them. The fog moved as if it was a living thing, sending out a questing tendril, which seemed to find what it was looking for, as the tendril darted to a spot right at Mel's bedside. Soon the tendril was a conduit, and more and more of the fog streamed from between Vicky's hands to that spot, then spread out as if it was filling an invisible shape. A man-shaped shape. A shape that became less a shape and more a figure with every passing moment. A figure if Mel had only known it, that looked to be the next of kin to the ectoplasmic Tesla and Marconi upgrades. This was, of course, because Vicky was producing ectoplasm for a ghost that didn't know how to make it, but instinctively knew how to use it. The young man, quite clearly visible now, even in the strong sunlight coming from the window, held up his hands and gazed at them in surprise, then grinned widely. I'll be go to hell came a whispery voice full of wonder. Damn if it didn't work. Told you, Vicky muttered, still concentrating. Don't mind me, I'm just here as the facilitator. Mel's lower lip quavered. She stared at the figure sitting on her bedside, but spoke to Penny. This is who you saw? This is the one you said is my ghost, the one who's been hanging around me back... Back there? Penny nodded again. He said he couldn't remember his name. He says ghosts start forgetting things. He came for you, but he was helping me, too. Figures. As for names, I'm not surprised he forgot. That's why his mama sewed it in all his underwear. She smirked at her new visitor. Riley. Jackson Lee Riley, to be exact. Hey, the ghost protested. I'm sitting right here, you know. Mel chuckled, but it turned into a sad sound that wasn't quite crying. She started to reach for Riley, but stopped inches from his knee. How long have you been around? It's been a while since... since you were around. The ghost considered her question. Time don't mean quite what it used to, but... I tried to get here when I could. When you got in trouble, that is. When I did, she was there with you. And I'm pretty sure you didn't hurt her or any of them. Scared them, maybe, but didn't hurt them. But how did you... The ghost leaned forward, the gauzy outline of his forehead inches from hers. Mel didn't pull away, although her eyes closed and she bowed her head. Revy. It ain't the how, it's the why. There's stuff you need to know right down in your gut that you ain't got straight yet. Like, that just because crap happens, that don't mean it's your fault that it did. Like, just because you got through something and someone else didn't, 
that don't mean you should have been the one that took the bullet. What you need to know is that it ain't your time and that it ain't going to be your time for a long while. No matter what they put you through, it ain't going to be your time. Mel folded in on herself, her form blurring Riley's edge. So, what? This is some kind of penance I've got to pay for letting you and the rest of the team down? That's why I gotta stay behind? Now, that's just bullshit. This ain't about punishment. This is about making sure the best of us remains and becomes stronger. But... You don't get to sit around and worry about what you should have done or who didn't make it home. I know you made sure that everyone knew what happened and that you was respectful about it, because that's who you are. He paused and tried to position herself in her line of sight. You're still here, and that's what matters. That's what was supposed to happen, Revy. It's okay. The last two words broke Mel's composure. She dissolved into exhausted tears, falling forward until her head appeared to rest on Riley's knee. The ghost glanced to Penny and shrugged. Better that she hear it from me than anybody else, kiddo. Grown-ups can cry pretty ugly at times. I wished I could do something, Penny agreed, looking sad. I can't help Miss Vicky, neither. A single tear ran down Vicky's right cheek from her closed eye. Not your fault, kid, Vicky replied in a choked voice. What he promised and what he could actually do are two different things. It is what it is. But I don't think... Penny began, and stopped, and sighed. I'll keep trying anyway, okay? Don't wear yourself out, Vicky said. Better you concentrate on Riley and Gaucher. Mel had rolled to her side to look up at Riley. She reached out a hand to touch his knee, but her fingers passed through the fatigues he wore. Shit, she muttered. You want him solid enough to touch? Vicky asked. I can do that, just won't be able to talk while I do. Mel looked away from Vicky, considering the offer. Her fingers twitched against the sheet. I... just for a bit? If you can do it without hurting yourself, she added quickly. If it's gonna make you worse, then it ain't worth it. It's just adding a chainsaw to the flaming torches I'm juggling. More a matter of control than power. Her jaw set. Something in one of her breast pockets began to glow brightly enough to show through the cloth, and a thicker fog poured from her hands and added itself to Riley. Riley stretched out a more opaque finger and poked Mel in the nose, gently at first. She winced at the new sensation. Feels like lukewarm jello, she mumbled. I thought everybody liked that stuff. He repeated the gesture and laughed at Mel's expression. Come here, Revy. This ain't gonna slam you or nothing, I don't think. She pushed herself up and inched forward. Mel hesitated then leaned forward with both arms for an awkward embrace. Riley met her halfway, and she fell against him in exhausted relief. This time there were fewer tears. The ghost smoothed the thin patches of Mel's hair while she hugged him tightly. So, you're not back here to haunt me because I did something awful to you? 
the words came out in a voice so close to Penny's own soft uncertainty that Riley had to check to see who had asked the question. Penny stepped closer to the bed and patted Mel's arm awkwardly. "'He ain't haunting you, Lace, Miss Gaucher,' she said fervently. "'Haunts ain't nice to you.' "'And in spite of you taking nothing less than perfect when it came to our team, "'not one of us would have ever questioned your being kind. "'You made passing a comfort when it could have been a terror, "'and that ain't something many get to experience.' His thumb wiped away a few tears that had escaped down her cheek. That's a gift, Revy. It ain't something to waste. Mel remained on her side, Riley and Penny offering their own means of solace. So, that's why you came for me? Because you knew this was just as bad as the sandbox? Because I knew you'd make it out and that you'd need to know that's what was supposed to happen. Riley held her shoulders and helped her sit up. He cupped her chin with a dirt-dusted hand. His form started to waver, but he held on. You're here for a reason. So she, but I ain't privy to those details. You got a gift for dreams. Dreams ain't for the dead, they're for the living. So that means you gotta live. Not just survive, but live. She stared back at him. But, and... You gotta cheer for Bama next season. Her jaw dropped. What? Ew, said Penny critically. I've liked you. Now I ain't so sure. Okay, that last part ain't necessary. He winked at Penny. The outline of his form started to blur. Everything else, though, that's what you gotta remember. And I knew you wouldn't believe it from just anybody, so I had to make sure you heard it from me. Gilead sat down next to Mel with a clipboard in her hand. Debrief? Mel asked, apprehensively. She'd been dreading this. But at least now, thanks to Vicky, they weren't avoiding her room or keeping the blinds closed. Gilead shook her head. The opposite, actually, she replied reluctantly. Orders from Ben, Bella, and Bull. They think we'll do more harm than good by making you relive all that. Bella wants me to get you up to speed from Vix's report. We've got a lot we need to ask you about after that. Don't worry, most of it isn't going to depend on your memory of your incarceration. Mel listened, army stoicism providing a numb kind of detachment as Gilead told her how Doppelganger had been impersonating her ever since she'd been shot in the Atlanta underground attack how Vicky and Bella had both surmised it was done. The kids told us he did it to them too, though not as frequently. Vix thinks Gigi had to renew the Mel disguise from time to time, so we believe that is why there are a lot of bits of you gone. Gilead's voice remained calm and detached, for all the world as if she was talking about colds or the flu, and not about some metahuman monster who imitated people by eating parts of them and now those few confused memories she had were starting to make sense. That was bad enough, but Mel listened in growing disbelief as Gilead continued describing how Doppelganger had wormed her way into both Belladonna's and Vicky's confidence, and deeply into the inner workings of Echo. Then began an affair with Red Genie. There are lots of Overwatch recordings, Gilead continued. Doppelganger wasn't on Overwatch 2, but she was pretty diligent about wearing her headset. 
I suppose it amused her to no end to know that she was conducting a love affair with Red right in front of the woman who was privy to every secret and silently in love with the genie. Finally, Gilead's expression wavered from neutral for just a moment to enraged. But she quickly corrected herself. Anyway, we're going to want you to help us with some of those tapes. The more we know about what doppelganger can and can't do, the better off we are. Mel felt dazed as Gilead recounted the fall of Ultima Thule and the false Mel's part in it, then moved on to Red Genie's arrest, the murder of Dixie Bell, and Verdigree's attack on the memorial service. Doppelganger couldn't pass that distraction up, of course, Gilead continued. She had arranged for Vix to be kidnapped, certain that Jeanie would follow, and must have just been waiting for the right opportunity to spring the trap, knowing that not even Top Hold could keep Red confined if he wanted to escape. He did escape, pulled off a rescue, and Doppelganger revealed herself. Vix got out with you and the kids, DG took the Jeanie, and a couple of days ago, killed him. She licked her lips and rested the clipboard on her knees. That's the short version. Any questions? Mel sat back against her pillows. Most of them would repeat yours. I guess that explains what led to the rescue. You've got a team going through that location, of course. I don't know how much help I can give you, considering how much I just wasn't there most of the time. The children, Penny specifically, said that he took pieces of them and ate them. Usually hair, but a few are missing digits, too. Do you have any idea why he kept taking more of you than of them? Gilead combined a strangely comforting pattern of empathy and dispassion in her question. Mel hadn't ever quite seen the like. Logically, I'm older. I'd be able to handle more. Gilead shook her head. I'm asking for instinct, not logic. The kids said that he could replicate physical powers, like Pike's armor, but he couldn't replicate Penny's mediumistic abilities, and they said they could always tell when it was him because he didn't act right. So what does your instinct tell you? Mel swallowed hard. The doctor wasn't trying to make things more difficult or uncomfortable, but that didn't lessen the anxiety that threatened to shake her from head to toe. My documented abilities are illusions, which means I got a knack for convincing people that what they're seeing is the actual truth, no matter what's in front of them. So even if he couldn't mimic it completely, he'd need to make up for the times when he couldn't completely act like the person he needed to be. If you already talk the talk and walk the walk, it only takes a little bit of effort to make somebody believe that you're the real deal. She exhaled and willed her fingers to release the bedsheets. Gilead consulted her clipboard. Well, according to the report, Doppelganger was using the head wound you actually received, and he copied as the reason for why your illusion powers no longer worked. Do you think he was hoping that repeated applications of Essence of Mel would give those powers to him? Or was he trying for your memories? Because in retrospect, we are now seeing a distinct pattern of evasion whenever someone asked him about something you should have known, but he didn't. She took a deep breath. I don't want to distress you further, but we want to know whether or not there's a chance he'll return in a convincing enough salacrum of red to fool Vix long enough for him to take or kill her, too. Mel pushed her hair out of her face and grimaced. I don't think that's likely, 
especially considering how well-known both of them are in those echo inner circles. I might have come in and worked with all of them on different operations, but we weren't exactly drinking buddies. Someone who knows Red or Vicky, I mean, somebody who knows them in and out, warts and everything, they would be able to see the difference in a heartbeat because he doesn't have that headspace slat of hand anymore. She shifted in bed, desperately trying to keep a level tone. Instinct says that Doppelganger went for a target on the sidelines that gave him a relatively blank canvas. The fact that he got me was... Mel felt her throat tighten and hot tears began to blur her vision. Rather than give in to self-pity, she growled through the next words. Dumb luck. Maybe he needed a new face with some powers, but when he got a taste, he figured out what my abilities could add to everything that he could already do. He took the opportunity, and here we are. Gilead nodded, made some notes on her clipboard, and made what might have been a very tiny sigh of relief. All right, then. That corresponds very well with what the children said. As for Doppelganger's facility, we had a team scouring it down to the floor wax, and we've learned all we can from it. As you said, you were sedated most of the time, so there seems no particular need to debrief you. She put both hands on her clipboard and looked straight into Mel's eyes. So the only question now is, what do you want to do? The simplicity of the question made the answer nearly impossible. She stared at Gilead, wondering if it was another kind of test. What do I want to do? Could y'all be any more vague? We simply can't devote a lot of resources to you, Mel, Gilead continued frankly. Since you were taken, things have turned into an all-out war. We obviously can use you. Silent Knight has offered to make you a prosthetic that is almost as good as the real thing, with the help of one of the Russians who studied Petrograd's armor. If you feel you need a few desensitization treatments of the sort Bell gave you, I can do that, now that we know how it works. We can even give you training under Bell to boost your abilities. But if what you want is to get the hell out, I can't blame you but I also absolutely cannot guarantee you'll find any place safe to go to, and we can't spare you anything but money. Mel's eyes narrowed. She sat up and brought the bandaged end of her arm up to show the fresh cap of cotton and nano-weave. The funny thing about illusions is that you can do them with no arms and a whole lot of angry. If you got all of your files right, then you already know that the odds of me running are pretty much nothing. I had my team murdered in front of me, one by one, and I was pissed as hell that no one thought to ask me what I wanted. The corner of her mouth twitched. But you, you ask me what I want. After that poor kid led Riley to me and let me know that he was all right. Her voice cracked and she struggled to keep that professional distance between her and the doctor. I want to do whatever it takes to get some justice for those kids. Especially Penny. I want to be part of the team that brings all of our assets home. And, even though my commanding officers might have frowned upon revenge, I want to make sure that sick, skin-shifting cannibal gets every bit of lead and fire that he deserves before he goes straight to hell. She sat back and exhaled, venom dissipating with the whoosh of breath. Ma'am. Gilead smiled thinly. Lessons with Bell or new hand first. You can do either or both on bed rest. 
lessons first. Might help her with any remaining issues over my evil twin. Besides, I might need some of those to practice to work through the new hand process. Good. Consider yourself back on limited duty, Reverie, Gilead replied. Welcome back to Echo. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Narration and production by Veronica Jagger at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.